Good morning. Welcome to the river. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, real quick, uh, Bill Fernandez was our drummer this morning, and um, he has blessed us for a very long time with his ability to, um, what, bang the skins? Is that what it's called or whatever? Um, and uh, there you go. Uh, he, and for a time, he's going to have to slip away from that. Three to four months, because he has to have some surgery on his wrist for some ligament stuff and carpal tunnel stuff, and then a rotator cuff issue in his right shoulder as well. Um, And Bill just has been such a blessing to so many of us through his leadership and music, and we get the opportunity now to bless he and his wife as they walk through the challenge of just figuring out what recovery looks like and treatment and all that other sort of stuff. So may you know God's blessing, provision, presence, healing through all of this, and uh, may you experience his love through us as we encourage you and and uh, walk with you through this time. So Bill's up in the mountains, so uh, we'll probably see him only occasionally, at least at the first beginning time of his recovery. The worst part of it is, you know, he doesn't get to drum, but now he doesn't also get to ride his motorcycle. And to me, that's just an absolute tragedy. I just... <sighs> breaks my heart. If you need a place to store your motorcycle for a time, <laughs> I might know a place. Uh... Blessings to you, Bill. I'm looking forward to preaching a message to you this morning that I remember. Because last week's message, I don't remember a word that I said to you. I believe that God uh, allowed um, something to happen, praise be to him. Um, But I don't remember it, uh, but I'm feeling much better. I'm doing much better, Um, still figuring some things out, all that other sort of stuff that has to happen. But we could just pray for our family as we walk through this. We're, We're getting there just takes time, as many of you know who have walked through um, issues with blood pressure and those sorts of things. We're getting there. We're going to continue through our uh, series on worship, and this morning we're going to be talking about giving. You'll notice um, there were some of you who thought to yourself, hey, they forgot the offering. We got off scot-free. Yeah, that's not true. (laughs) We're going to do a message on giving, so I'm going to load you up and then um, get you ready for the offering. Um, We we understand, I mean, as we've walked through this, we've walked through different postures of worship, physical postures. Um, this morning's message is more a posture of the heart, um, a posture for giving, a preparation um, that we walk through in our own hearts and our own minds in order to understand what it means to um, give of our tithes and our offerings, uh, of our time and our energy and our talents as a service to God. We're going to do this in light of the text of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles there. Next week, we will close the Worship Posture series, Adventures in Worship, with Pastor Will um, doing a message on prayer. really want to encourage you to listen to that one, because Brandon Neuenheis is going to be sharing a story of God's power in prayer that's just absolutely spectacular. It's a beautiful story. I look forward to us hearing it as a community. That's next week. And then we We begin our Advent series the week following preparation for Thanksgiving, so the week before Thanksgiving, and then the weeks following, the first week is week of preparation, and then the following five uh, messages or six messages are about the characters of Advent. So believe it or not, yeah, Christmas is here. If you haven't watched TV and seen all the Target commercials, and I'm sick of them already, we're, we're getting ready for that already. This morning we're in 2 Corinthians as we prepare to hear God's word. Let's ask for his blessing upon our time. 
Thank you, O oh God, for your word. Thank you for the blessing, the opportunity to give, to be a part of seeing your kingdom grow. And we pray, O oh God, this morning as we consider the blessing that you had for the Corinthian Christians, the Macedonian Christians, the Christians in Jerusalem, we pray too that you extend that blessing to us, your people. May we understand the fuel that is the grace of Jesus Christ that moves us from selfishness to selflessness, that moves us from holding so tightly to what we have to giving with loose hands and joyful hearts. We pray, O oh God, that as we do work, as we think, as we pray, as we ponder the power of your word, that you use your word as a means of transformation in our lives. And through your grace, because of the work of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we hear truth, truth that impacts us, truth that moves us, truth that changes us, and, and calls us to a deeper um, following and loving and walking with you. We pray these things all in the name of Christ. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. There is no need for me to write to you about this servant's service to the saints. I'm going to talk about what that service is in a moment. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year in Achaia, since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will re result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I, uh, I begin writing my messages on Tuesday of every week. Uh, 
Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm already thinking about them weeks or months in advance when we plan out the worship series and and, or plan out the, the series and then the, the text that we're going to use. But then when, when it comes to the real nuts and bolts of writing, I start on Tuesday. And so when I was thinking and praying and, and reading some stuff on Tuesday about this text of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I felt a little um, anxiety, to be honest. Um, we're talking about giving. We're talking about offerings. We're talking about tithes this morning. And um, the reality of it is, is that all of you know something that impacts how you hear me speak. And that fact is that I receive a salary that is directly connected to what goes in the offering bag every single morning. So in some ways, depending on how you listen and how I preach, this could be heard as a message of somewhat selfishness. I would like a raise, give more, you know, that type of thing, right? Uh, that's, that's obviously, or I hope you hear this, not nearly as my, my purpose. Uh, I, I also, you know, as the sort of the, the lead pastor, the vision casting pastor of the church, I have plans and ideas and thoughts about where we should go, and a lot of those things do cost money and staffing and issues like that. So then, in essence, this message could be heard as me wanting you to give money so that I can get what I want. Let's just name that for what it is. It's the elephant in the room. But we are a church, and we need to talk about spiritual health. We need to talk about spiritual things. And it's clear from this text of 2 Corinthians that giving is a spiritual issue with lots of different implications. So let's just name that as an elephant in the room. And I hope that you can hear my heart this morning that none of those things about the selfish idea of me wanting more or you to do this, I hope you don't hear it that way. In fact, frankly, if you are convicted by this morning's message to give more, and you are convicted to give to other ministry, go, do, do that. Between you and the Lord, but do that. This is not about not about me, not about us as staff, not about the church and us making sure that we can get to do things. This is about what God's Word says about the blessing of giving and what it means for us to have a spirit of generosity. And if we miss out on that spirit of generosity, what we miss out on our walk with God. We want to be fully formed followers of Jesus Christ. I know we do. Then we need to talk about this particular issue. And we need to talk about it not just as a topic, but as a topic for worship. Because fundamentally, and we'll see that this morning, giving with generosity comes fundamentally out of a heart of worship. Let's first of all talk about the context of this text. What is this gift? What is this work that Paul is calling the Corinthian Christians to participate in? First of all, Corinth, southern Greece. Okay, southern, what is now southern, southern Greece. Macedonia, more towards Turkey. So, if, I guess I'm going to try to do this. Mediterranean is here, Israel's over here. Greece, or Corinth, Macedonia up here. Okay, or depending on where this is all going. He's just talking about Macedonian Christians, not a, a, a small group of Christians, so it's up in this area. And they're talking because Paul's in Macedonia. He's writing the letter to the Corinthian, the Greek Christians, 
And he's talking about this offering that they together are taking for the Jerusalem Christians over here. What has happened in Jerusalem, and you'll see it in the book of Acts in about chapter 8 or 9, is you have the great dispersion, you get persecution, the Jewish leaders are upset, they begin to persecute the new Christians, and they spread out all over the place, and those who are left are persecuted and get in trouble. So you have abject poverty among the Jerusalem Christians, you have hunger, you have homelessness, you have all the issues that come with being persecuted. So Paul's in Macedonia writing to Corinth for a second time, talking to them about something that he started already in one of his journeys to them, and that is about getting together a gift, an offering, that they would then give together with the Macedonian Christians and perhaps other churches to Jerusalem. Now, Corinth has this reputation that Paul's talking about. Paul's been there, he's talked to them, and he's seen them move into this mode of generosity. This is a a relatively wealthy church in sort of the context of all the different churches. So he's seeing this generosity move among the Corinthian Christians in such a way that the offering is growing. But it's interesting, this is something not necessarily connected to the message, but it's true, the Corinthian offering was a good offering, but the Macedonian offering, which was a much more impoverished community, was just as big or bigger than the Corinthian offering. So the folks who had little gave just as much or more than the folks who had more than they did. And the offering eventually that went to Jerusalem, you'll see oftentimes Paul about Paul talking about, thanks be to God for your faithfulness expressed to the the believers in Jerusalem. Oftentimes, he's talking about this specific gift that they gave to the church in Jerusalem. So there's a challenge here. And Paul is challenging the church to participate in compassion for the poor and to reflect a unity with other believers through their generosity. So, compassion on those impoverished in Jerusalem and those who are hungry, and a unity between the Macedonian church, the Corinthian church, and the other believers. But frankly, there's more to it than that. As good as those things are, bringing that compassion and really, you know, helping someone in need and being unified in helping someone in need, Paul's really putting in front of them a challenge that's even deeper than that. And verse 12 provides that challenge. Let's read that. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So it's not just about supplying need. It's not just about that. Fundamentally, for Paul, there's another thing that's just as important, if not more important, and that is that this comes from thanksgiving, that there's something going on in the heart of the Corinthians that's moving them to be people who give and give generously, and that's good stuff. It's important stuff. True worship, according to this, shows thanksgiving, And when one is thankful, thanksgiving moves one to generosity. And because of someone's generosity, it can move someone else to worship. Follow me here. 
You start out with thanksgiving. Someone who is thankful for knowing what God has done in their life. And they say, because God has done so much for me, I want to do something for another. So they take out of whatever riches they have and they give a gift. Maybe it's a gift to a ministry, a gift to an individual, a gift to a church that does ministry. Well then, let's say it's an individual. That individual receives the gift and because they're in need, they have, like uh, anyone would who receives, who is in need, they would be moved to thanksgiving. They would say, praise be to God, you have met my need. That's worship. See, thanksgiving, generosity, thanksgiving, worship. There's a cycle here. But somebody has to start the cycle. And what Paul's challenge is in the text of 2 Corinthians 9, that challenge is, where does this begin? Where does this start? And he's pushing them to consider the stuff of their heart. And that's where we are this morning for ourselves. Where's our heart? And for us to ask the question, what holds us back from participating in the blessing of generosity, thanksgiving, worship? What holds back, what holds our, our hearts back from 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 giving as much as we can, giving with joyful hearts. God loves a cheerful giver. Giving with generosity. What holds us back? And there's a lot of things. And I have a significant list here, and I want to walk through them with you. First of all, ask the question, is it anxiety? How many of you have known in the last year and a half those times when you're like, I don't know how these things are going to get paid in time? Anyone? Oh, come on. We've all been there. I've been there. I have a kid in college. Good grief. That's how it goes. And there's issues with those sorts of things in a lot of folks' lives. That begats anxiety. If there's not enough to cover the bills, you start to think, wait, I, I can't give more because I need what I have in order to cover my needs and my bills. And that anxiousness that, that breeds, you know, sort of a tight grip on our stuff. But that tight grip can also come from something like greed, where there's never enough. There's never enough in the bank account. There's never enough toys. There's never enough money for us to do what our want, we want. Our retirement fund is never where it needs to be. So we can't give because we want these things for ourselves, that greed, and that greed obviously goes hand in hand with selfishness. It's selfishness that focuses on what we want, on our needs, on the things that really um, sort of our dreams and our passions, instead of asking the question, what is it that would serve others? What is it that God has for me that He wants me to participate in, not just for myself, but for His kingdom? What about mistrust? Mistrust can also be a powerful thing. Mistrust in the sense of you saying, 
um, you know, I don't trust in God. God has not met all my needs in the past. You perceive that and said, you know, God has abandoned me here or there. And, and so, you know, you, you don't trust in God or you don't trust the people that you're supposed to be giving to. Maybe you've seen people in leadership of churches. You know, this has never happened before. There's been absolutely no indictments for fraud in the kingdom of God. It's never happened. Um, unfortunately, there's too many pastors and church leaders who have gotten into those places where they have really begotten mistrust because of how they've behaved with things. And, and I can understand that. And I, I think there's something that we need to work through, what it means to trust, what it means to be transparent, what it means to have an open financial book. In fact, it's really interesting because if you ever know, or you're ever donating to a Christian organization, there's a many Christian organizations now that have banded together called something that's, I want to say it's EFCA, Evangelical Financial Christian Accountability or something like that. But if you ever see, if you go on a Christian website and you're going to donate to some, a Christian cause, look for that thing. That means that they get audited with open books by a group that is looking for integrity and people and businesses and, and um, nonprofit organizations that are really seeking to live out uh, financial integrity. So if you're ever wondering about that, that's, that's a good thing to look for. What about issues of control? Do we ever have issues of control with money? Anyone ever seen that? Here's what I mean with that. Um, let's say, for example, that a church were going to be running a drive for something that it needed. I don't know. I'll just pick something random. A sound system. Okay. And a church is running a drive and a development campaign for a sound system. And you have some ideas about sound. And you hear about the leadership getting together and getting some quotes and different people involved in the idea of what it means to, uh, you know, for us to improve something and work on something within, uh, you know, to improve the system that we have. And, and um, then suddenly this, there's this proposal that's put in front of you for a certain amount of money. And you read that proposal, and you look at the amount of money, and then you look at the people who are involved, and you say, A, that's too much money. I'm not going to give. Or B, I don't like the people who are involved. I would rather it have been me who made the decision, so I'm not going to give. Or C, I don't like the plan because I have a better plan, or I think I know better than what these folks are doing, so I'm not going to give. See the thing? issue of control with giving, with generosity. And what God is calling his people to is to move away from any of these sorts of things, from spiritual immaturity where we, we don't understand what it means to give, where we don't understand that a tithe is a, is a tenth. It's moving over the decimal place one, one space, and that's, a, that's your gift from your funds. They don't understand that tithes and offerings are an offering is what you give then even over and above your tithe, what you would give for, for something that inflames your passion or your, 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 your love for the church or the kingdom of God, issues in some cases of abortion, political issues sometimes, or justice issues and poverty, poverty issues, hunger issues, water issues, homelessness issues, whatever. That's offering stuff. You know, that God calls us to move past these things where we begin with the right fuel for giving, where we begin in the right place 
forgiving because then when we begin in the right place for our giving, then what we give blesses us so much more deeply because we've started, we've started already five steps ahead of the game because we've started in the right place. It doesn't need to be corrected or there's, we're not missing something in the process. As we think about giving for us to eternalize, verses 10 and 11, it really does take work. But I want you to hear these verses. Verses 10 and 11 say this, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I want you to look at those verses, especially verse 11. Are there any conditional phrases in that verse? Is there any ifs? Is there any perhaps? Is there any maybes? Is there any if only you would? No. No, there's not because that verse is a promise. Hear me here. If the Corinthian Christians, if we as Christians will give to God in faithfulness according to his plan and his purpose, he will pour out riches upon us. Now hear me here. Because I know there's suddenly some of you who are thinking they're hearing a guy with a really nice haircut and an expensive suit from Texas. I'm not that guy. I'm not health and wealth. I want nothing to do with that. Because to me, that's sinful and a lie. What I do know is this. That if you and I are faithful, and we grow and mature and develop in our giving, that God will pour out His riches upon us. The only thing that I want to make sure you understand is I have no idea what riches means for you. I have no clue. Oh, I, I can guess sometimes. I can guess it for my life. As of yet, I've not seen the million dollars that is supposedly promised to somebody who gives in the way that those folks from Texas say you should get. I haven't gotten those riches, nor do I ever expect them, because I don't believe God promises them, even for a second. But I do know that God promises, I will pour out on you, and I will care for you. I will, I got your back. I will take care of you. I will pour out my riches of what? Relational blessings. I will pour out my, my riches of what? Peace. Your anxiety, perhaps. Perhaps the, the riches that God gives you is just a heart that grows three sizes that day. What a beautiful thing if God grows those things in us. Those are riches that we can't possibly understand unless we get in the right place with how we give. We miss out on this promise of verse 11. Unless we participate in the blessing. And believe me, this is not about me. It's not about what I want for the church or whatever. I don't care. I want it for us. I want it for you. I want it for myself. 
to know the blessing because I know the other side of it. If you want to see the other side of it, there's a show on television you can watch. There's lots of shows that will show you this, but one in particular I want to highlight this morning, and I know you all think I watch way too much television. You're probably right. This show is on TLC. It's called Extreme Cheapskates. Anyone seen the show? It is the most irritating show in the world. I can barely watch it, but I do because I like car crashes. It's just the way, I mean, these people on here, they're extreme cheapskates. They will do anything to save a dollar. There was one guy on there. He was having his 10th anniversary with his wife. And he wanted to have a really special 10th anniversary celebration with his wife. He wanted to have a party with decorations and a cake and give his wife a gift. And he budgeted for the whole party beginning to end $20. Now, my 20th anniversary is next February. If I budgeted $20 for my anniversary party, I'm just telling you my anniversary night, I'm coming to knock on your door because I need to sleep in your house. This guy went to the the bakery, and he said, I want a cake. They said, well, we can do a cake for $20. He goes, you don't understand. It's for the whole party. I need it cheaper. So he got a smaller cake. I think he got a slice or a couple slices of cake, or he got one that had been dropped or something. And he said, oh, by the way, to make it cheaper, I don't want the icing. He just wanted the cake. That's a problem. So then he goes to the the decorating store. He wanted to get balloons. So he goes up to the guy and he goes, I want some balloons. How much are your balloons? Well, I have this balloon for a dollar. This, this series of balloons is, is five for three dollars. He said, that's too much. What do you got on clearance? Well, we have congratulations on your new job. I'll take five of them. How much are they? Five cents a piece. Perfect. Don't inflate them because that would cost me money. Don't just, I'll blow them up with my mouth. So he saved money on that. And I think this was the same episode. If, it not, if not, it was for another woman's birthday, but it's the same attitude. This guy was going along the street, and he was really excited because, of course, it was garbage day. And he pulled some, like, desk dresser thingy out of the garbage that had, like, three legs broken off. And he said, well, I'll give it to her, and I'll tell her I'll repair it afterwards, and I'll, I'll fix it. But the thing is, and he said this, he goes, but I know that she'll forget, so I won't have to repair it. But she'll like the thought. The party rolls around, and it's just one of those things where you just, your heart breaks for this woman. Because she opens the door, and he's like, surprise, with his five friends who are all going, I'm really sorry. We really don't want to be here because the cake is a slice of cake with no icing. The balloons are just sort of stuck to the chair because they won't go up in the air because they're not inflated. And you got a broken desk dresser over in the side of the room. We're sorry, but he wanted us to be here, and we love you even though he's a goof. She walks in. You can see it on her face. This is not a celebration. She just hurts. And why does she hurt? Because this guy values money more than he values his bride. And that causes pain. And that's the problem with selfishness. Selfishness in the church community causes pain. It causes pain for the one who does it because you miss out on the blessing. You see, you miss out on the freedom. 
You miss out on the generosity that comes and the joy that comes with generosity. And frankly, if we're missing that, that's painful. And we are, there's pain for those whose needs aren't met because there are people who are not giving. So for us to, to think that when we are not participating in generosity, there's a lot of things going on. We're not participating in thanksgiving. We're not participating in worship. And we are actually a part of causing pain within the Christian community. It should push us to ask some questions about how God can come in and transform our hearts. And praise be to God in the text of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 we see what God does in order to move the Corinthian Christians towards generosity. We see the key word in verse 8. Look there with me for one second. And God is able to make all grace abound in you so that in all things, at all times, Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What is Paul saying here? Answer this question for me. If you have grace, what else do you need? What does the text say? Nothing. You hearing me? If you and I have grace... If we know the love and the work and the transformation of Jesus Christ, then everything else is extra. Everything else comes out of that. God's grace takes us from what? Death into life. God's grace takes us from brokenness in a mess to wholeness with eternity to look forward to. God's grace takes us from meaninglessness to having a life with purpose. If you have grace, what else do you need? Nothing. And Paul is saying, if you've got grace, then don't hold on to all the other stuff that you got because frankly, you don't need it. You have eternity at your fingertips because of the cross and the redemption of Jesus Christ that has given you life, that has saved you from sin, that is giving you the righteousness that comes through faith, that has changed you from being guilty of sin and now guiltless without sin so that you can stand in the presence of God for all eternity in His glory, in Enjoying the riches that he has planned for us that we can't even imagine right now. That's the stuff that grace does. So for us to get into that mindset, when we start to think about what it means to give, you don't need what you have in your checkbook. Fundamentally, spiritually, you don't. Oh, I understand. We can have that conversation about finances and what it means to be a good steward. All that has impact here. But for us to start with the idea that we have the grace of Jesus. If we have the grace of Jesus, then everything else we got, we hang on to with a really light grip. That's how Paul is calling the Corinthians to think about giving. You start with God's grace 
Because by God's grace, you have everything. And when you and I have that attitude, thanksgiving naturally comes out. Generosity naturally comes out. The undeserved gift from Christ's grace is the game changer. The church knew the unfair gift of love and forgiveness in Christ. They didn't deserve it. They didn't work for it. It was given as a free gift of God to them. Something that God continues to do in his people. For them to respond to grace in generosity reflected Christ-likeness. It moved them to worship and it blessed them to others. Read the Gospels, folks. What does Jesus ever carry with him on his ministry? What does he ever carry? Nothing. In fact, so much so that when he has to pay taxes, he goes fishing so that the fish can vomit up a gold coin. I need to do more fishing like that. That's how he's going to get his needs cared for because God will provide. When he... When he does ministry, he has empty hands so he can touch, so he can impact, so he can bless, so he can receive the children into his presence. His hands are empty so he can participate in the blessing of generous love, time, energy, talent. As you and I participate in that, we reflect a Christ-likeness. Remember, Christ's greatest giving work was done wearing only a crown of thorns. It's the only thing he had. It's the only thing that he was hanging on. The only possession he had on the planet was stuck to his head. And he's giving of his life for the light of all of creation. For us to participate in generosity, we participate in that sort. Not that depth, but that sort of Christ-likeness. And it also showed a maturity that the Spirit had grown in the Corinthian believers to show others. God had moved them, moved them from selfishness, moved them from greed, moved them from immaturity into a more mature place when they understood more about what God had done for them in Jesus and so they could do nothing else but give to the Jerusalem church, give as a part of the gift to people to show them compassion and be united in other believers. But it began with the grace of Jesus. Now for us, as we consider what it means for us to give cheerfully, it's key to start with grace. Please understand this. This is not about just making sure that we get the checklist. Oh, yeah, I got my tithe. Oh, I missed 10 cents. I moved my decimal wrong or I did wrong math. I need to make sure I take care of that so I'll put a dime in the plate. It's not about making sure we do it right that way. It's about sure we make it's about making sure we do it right this way. That our heart is a heart of worship. That even one of the reasons why we're doing offering after we're doing the message is we understand that the offering is something that we do out of thanksgiving 
for what God has done. Not just out of compulsion or some sort of legal obligation, but because we understand more fully what Christ has done for us on the cross of Jesus, what's done on the cross so that we might have life. And because we understand more of that, then we, we have to give. We have to give out of thanksgiving. And yeah, God gives us guidelines. That tithe thing, 10%, move the decimal plate over. Offerings are about those other things that we get excited about and God moves in us to give to. Yes, absolutely. There's, there's those things out there. But he wants, us, he wants us to move us in our hearts to worship in our giving, not just follow the rules. This is about even when the offering bag comes, comes around. For us, as we give what we can give, and maybe it's a penny, God be praised. If you are giving a penny in worship to God, hear me here. That's worship. That's faithfulness. God will use it. If it's a dollar, if it's a hundred dollars, if it's a hundred thousand dollars, and you are giving that in worship to God, God be praised. He will use that. But it's about the heart. It's not just making sure that we get the details right and follow the right guidelines. He also calls us to grow. He calls us to continue to move from where we are now. I mean, there's, there's truth. If you're tithing, if you're in your 60s now, and you're tithing on what you started out when you first started in employment, and you said, I made $26,000 a year then, and I'm going to give $2,600, and now you're making $100,000 just before you retire, and you're still going off of that. It's about growing, folks. We need to mature and develop. So yeah, maybe God is calling you to give more than you have before financially. Maybe you are giving faithfully financially, but you're not giving of your time. It's easier to write a check than it is to participate. I want to encourage you to think about what it means for you to think about your time as an offering, more of a gift to God. Maybe you come by and drop the check off with Greg this week and then come mow the lawn and fix the sprinkler heads with Gene Zavenbergen. Spend time with that guy. You want to hear, you want to see generosity lived out? That's the dude to, find, to hang out with and spend time with. Because he's out there repairing all this stuff with a patch on his eye. He doesn't have to hold the other eye open anymore. God be praised for that. But he's out there, like, he's more than, he's almost a full-time employee. And he won't take money from us. Because he can give of his time and his energy and his talent. Come, learn with him. Maybe that's where God wants you to grow. Maybe God wants you to grow in how you give financially. Maybe if you've been giving a certain amount, maybe God is calling you to grow that by another 5% or another 10% or maybe double it even. God's calling you to participate in the blessing of generosity, but it has to begin with grace. By allowing the Spirit to grow our generosity, we worship Him more deeply. We understand grace more fully. And we give others more opportunity to give praise to God. I'll never forget, I was down in Mexico with a youth group trip doing missions. And we were serving a very small church just outside of Rosarito Beach. And the pastor there, the church was doing wonderful ministry in the community. Struggling ministry, but wonderful ministry. And we loved the pastor dearly, but he and his wife, he was in his 70s, his wife was in her her early 60s, and they were struggling to make ends meet. And we had, I think, 20 kids on this youth group trip. 
And we had a, I told the kids to bring $100 for the week just for spending or incidentals or all that other sort of stuff. And by the end of the week, we just hadn't spent it on a lot of stuff. So there were like all the kids had at least $20 left. And we talked about it as a group. And we prayed about it as a group. And we said, well, we're going to do, um, we're going to take that extra 20 and we're going give it, to give it to the pastor. And I think the offering was, I don't know, like $250, maybe $300 at the most. And at the final dinner that we had with the church, we gave this offering to the pastor, and we just said, we praise God for you, and we hope that God continues to bless you in your ministry here in Mexico. And this guy receives it, and he was a ball of fire. He was something else. Pastor Joe, never forget him. And he says to me, get the kids. We need to go in the sanctuary. We go in the sanctuary, small little room, and he he literally went out and he got a couple of the guys from, from the church who worked at the store across the street and the, the building over here and he brought them in and he said, start playing guys because we need to worship God. We need to worship God because God has provided and God has shown his grace and his love to us and God has allowed us to keep going in ministry. And all that happened because a bunch of high school kids brought 20 extra bucks on a youth group mission trip. Change that whole trip for us. I want to put the challenge in front of you. Where is God calling you to participate in the gift of generosity to understand worship through giving more? Here's the experiment. Just talk about it until January. It's a short enough time that it's not going to absolutely cramp your style, but it's a long enough time that you can see what God does in you and in what it is that you do. Between now and January 1st, if you would commit to growing what it is that you give and how you give it. And maybe that means that you add another zero to your financial gift to the church. Maybe it means that you simply, you know, increase it by a dollar. Maybe it means that you become a true tither that you've been a good giver, a faithful giver, but you're going to become a true tither, 10%. And you're going to find places and opportunities to give of your offering. Maybe you're, you're there. You're in that right place financially, or you know that's really something that you don't feel called to at this point, but you feel called to time and energy. Well, guess what? You're in the absolute best time of year to find places to volunteer and be a part of ministry. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's, there's going to be 700 billion things for you to volunteer for and participate in. But do it. And when you do it, if it's sitting down and writing a check, if it's opening your wallet when the offering bag is passed, if it's clicking the mouse on your computer as you're doing your bills online, if it's going and being a part of the ministry in the time that you give to them. Don't just do it and say, okay, I'm going to make sure I check this off my list. I'm going to make sure I take care of business. Sing a praise song while you're clicking the mouse. Truly a song that you can worship God with. Spend time in prayer outside whatever ministry you're participating in and pray that God will receive your worship and bless it and multiply it in a way that you don't even think of or understand. Pray that as you write an offering check to a ministry that excites you, 
that you write that check and, and pray that God blesses that ministry and moves in that ministry and multiplies that ministry and you see what God does. And understand here, you know, if you send these, this money to the church, God be praised for that. If it goes to another ministry that you're a part of supporting, another group, God be praised for that. I'm not in this for us. Believe me, I'm not in this for us. I'm in this for us together to experience God's blessing more fully as we are fueled by his grace, the work that he has done for us to take us from death into life through Jesus Christ so that we might in thanksgiving be cheerful givers who see God move and grow his kingdom through what it is that we are able to participate in. Let's pray together. We praise you, O God, for the ability that we have to participate in the blessing of generosity and giving. We ask, Father, that even now as the deacons take the offering, that we might worship you. We might glorify you, not just in what we give, but how we give that this may be as deep a time of worship as when we sing Amazing Grace, that this might be as meaningful a time of experiencing your presence as when we are reading Scripture, that we can understand this truly as worship and praise to you. Meet us in our worship. Multiply our 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 gifts, Father, according to your plan and your purpose, that your kingdom might continue to grow. We pray these things in Christ. Amen.